This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hi, welcome into another edition of At The Turn. Nick, why am I introducing this show like Jim Nance lately? I I find that I'm doing like a butler cabin introduction these days. I kind of like it, you know? Hello, friends. (laughs) Welcome to another edition of At The Turn. That's kind of where we are. (laughs) Well, with the U.S. Open in the rearview mirror and the Masters not coming up for a little over a month, depending on when you're listening to this, Nick and I are going to dive into some fun topics, some fall golf. Nick apparently wants to set the record straight on the 1996 U.S. Amateur. Would you rather is going to return? Also going to discuss if you feel a sense of obligation to play the same set of tees as the rest of your group. But Nicholas, let's start with something you brought up. From the At The Turn Twitter account. What do you call a closest to the pin? Apparently not everybody calls it a KP. Which was news to me uh, this week. I uh, was at a golf tournament out in Massachusetts. And we were setting up uh, one of our the sponsors of the tournament. With a, uh, with a KP, you know, measuring device. And tracking sheet. And I mentioned something about the KP, and people are just looking at me like, what are you talking about? Like, what, What's a KP? And I'm like, the closest to the pin, the KP. Like, why would you call it a KP? There's no K in closest to the pin. I'm like, yeah, but that's just what it's called. But apparently not. Apparently, it is a geographical, it's a regional nomenclature, if you will. And um, I've been doing some extensive research on <laughs> ever since this happened, and apparently it's only the Northwest they refers to it as KP. Did you realize this? I didn't, but it also never occurred to me that K is not in closest to the pin. That kind of just blew my mind what you said. Yeah, KP, close. Oh, no, wait. That's not right. Yeah, but like, is- this Kit Kat is KAT, and like, nobody complains about that. You know, wait, RX the candy is, bar? Is, is, yeah, RX for prescription. You know what? You just go with it. You don't argue with it. You just go with it. I mean, I guess that is one philosophy. So what do the boys in the Northeast call it then? And the gals? Closest to the pin or or CTP? If if you need to abbreviate it. CTP? I know. How how absurd is that? That's pretty uh that's pretty boat shoes and moet right there. That, so so we put wow. this out on Twitter and not every results from every state have not come in yet. But um, California, hell no. 
Oklahoma, apparently they're called Greenies, Oregon. They call it a KP. Yeah, Greenies. I myself am from Idaho. I'll, I'll go ahead and put Idaho down for KP. we got to vote for Washington as KP. So you got the Idaho, Oregon, Washington trifecta up there in the upper left. Uh, the Mid-Atlantic is, is not KP. Arizona is not KP. Massachusetts clearly not KP. So... Um, the map is filling in, and if, unless it's in the upper left, it's uh, it's not referred to as a KP. It sounds like we want to. We want the Dakotas to check in. Everyone who listens in the Dakotas, please let us know. This, I this mean, map is a living document. So if you just tweet us your state in just yes or no, KP or no, we can keep updating this and keep this keep this document alive. Would it be a good anniversary present if I got this once it's all filled in with all fifty states for you and Ash to hang over the fireplace? Would that be Something you guys would be into. The fireplace. Right now, there's a big. we have a big fireplace with a huge mantle and a big picture of the spot I proposed to Ashley. It's probably like 20 by 30, but we could replace it with the map of which states refer to as a KP. You know, is, it it's literally, always, always... is it literally you proposing or is it like a scenic picture of the spot where it happened? No, it's a scenic picture. She came across it on Facebook one day, like after the fact, and an artist had posted pictures. Anyways, it's beside the fact... Yes, I would love a fully filled-in map of which states refer to as a KP. I hope some random state, like in the southeast, like Mississippi, is KP also. So it's just like the the, the uh, northwest and like one other random state. But I don't think so. I have heard the term greenies before, but that always struck me as a term that was used by like set 1970s relief pitchers as some sort of like amphetamine to keep them interested in the game because their job was so boring. Greenies has some sort of drug connotation with me, so I've never used that. Ultimately, in this discussion, aren't we really saying what is the nickname you have for closest to the pin? Because everybody identifies this as closest to the pin. That's the name for it. We're talking about what's the nickname. Yeah, I want to know. I mean, because yeah. when you're standing on the tee of a par three and you look at your group and you just say KP for a dollar, it just rolls off the tongue. You know what I mean? It just it just rolls out. Like you wouldn't say like CTP for a dollar. Well, did you did you play golf? Is that the way they sound over there? Did you did you play golf when you lived in Hawaii? Yeah, but I never. Um, I never. I never this, it was not on my radar. No, not in tournaments. You know, yeah. Sure. There was there was sure. no KPs going on. Well, please hit but us up. Too though, people didn't even know what I was referencing. It wasn't like like. In Texas, you know, they they call all soda Coke. You know what? Everybody knows that. But when I said KP, people didn't even know what I was talking about. That's that's what surprised me the most. You would think with context clues, they could piece it together. Like if someone <laughs> said CTP and we were standing on a par three, I'd be like, okay, that's a little odd, but I know you're calling it closest to the pin. Exactly. Same with same with greenies. All of these terms, you can kind of figure it out. I think they really wanted to teach the Northwest boy a lesson for coming up with the wrong term there. 100%. <laughs> okay, so please... If you're in any of the states that we neglected to mention, which I think something like 80% of them, or if you're in one of the states that has checked in and you disagree or agree, please let us know what you call the closest to the pin. As Nick mentioned, this is a living document, and we hope to get all mm-hmm. 50 states filled in. I was a little would, surprised to see uh, California was was a hell no. Sorry, Joe, I'll let you move on. <laughs> no, that's fine. So, yeah, what – hell no? I don't – I don't, no, I don't it's, get it. it. Wait, this is – this is done. It's okay. done until, until next time. Nick, something that I bump up against, and this is, I think, a good topic for us specifically, perhaps because we might play a different set of tees if we were going out to 
you know, a course of some stature, a course where you're going to have multiple sets of tees, where you're going to have a white, a blue, a black, and maybe even something beyond that. Typically, I play with a group of higher handicappers. I'd say they range from probably, you know, 18 to 25, somewhere in there. And I've always sort of been a single-digit handicap in, in my adult life, vacillating somewhere between two for a very brief time, mostly around five to eight. But I typically like to play the blue or the black tees. However, because you bum it. <laughs> Don't be so lately. humble, Joe. Not, not <laughs> lately. Not fighting the fairway lately, Nicholas. But it's the sort of thing where sometimes I feel a sense of guilt is the wrong word. But I think about what tees I'm playing in relation to the rest of the group because I don't want to have the fellas that I play with feel a sense of obligation to tee it back with me when, A, maybe they don't want to, and B, maybe they shouldn't because it's going to ruin their day and people perhaps around us. And I've talked to them about this, and they actually don't really feel that way, at least on the surface. Like when we talk about it, they don't say this, feel a sense of obligation. But I'm curious, do you feel that way, or does that ever enter your mind of, okay, someone I'm playing with has – the ability to play from the tips and it's just me and him. Maybe I want to try the tips today because of it hitting the ball. Well, lately. I mean, the answer to your question is like, yes and no. So generally speaking, yeah, I feel obligated to play the same set of tees for the most part as the people I'm playing with. Uh, there's certainly a lot of exceptions. I play with my wife a lot. We're not playing the same tees. Uh, the course I play is a nine-hole course. So if you're playing 18, you just run through twice, once in the whites, once in the blues. It's just the way it goes. So I'll alternate if I'm playing the whites or the blues every other time. I'm playing that course. And if they throw me with another group and they're playing the whites, I'm on my back nine. I play the blues. Nobody really has a problem with it. But if you're going out with your bros, you should play the same set of tees. If you're all within the same age group, you know, there's no seniors, you know, if the ladies want to tee it forward, that's fine. But if it's it's you in a foursome of all your bros and you're all in the same age group, you should probably play the same tees. And I think if every once in a while you want to tee it back and, you know, their game every once in a while, sure, they, they can play a different set of tees. And for the most part, if you want to tee it forward with them, that's fine. No big deal. But I think it's weird if week in and week out you're playing with your friends and you're playing one set of tees and everyone else is playing a different set. Yeah, that's interesting. So I'm going to chime in with the folks on Twitter, what they said, and kind of touch on what you just said. So Patty Valero says she does not feel a sense of obligation to play the same tees as the rest of her group. She says, I know what my assets and limitations are. I think these younger guys insist on playing the back tees. They'd have a much better time if they played the appropriate tees. Play it forward, Nick. Sometimes I do feel people feel pressured for me. It's all about knowing my limitations, which I think is pretty good universal take that people who are playing blue and black probably shouldn't be most of the time. Like if you're well, scoring I yeah. like, okay, perfect example. How many times, <laughs> how many times are you playing with someone from the whites and you're like, Oh, this guy's lighting it up. He should never be playing those tees. Like it happens, but it's pretty <laughs> rare, right? Yeah. I will, I will give Romy a shout out. We played, uh, we played Peru uh-huh. loose Ridge a week or two ago. Um, I guess more than that now, but we played from the, the grays, which I forget what the yardage was. It was, I don't know, 62 maybe. And then the blues were like 66 or 67. So we played from the grays and uh, he shot 73. And then he's kind of like, yeah, but we're playing the grays. 
I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Probably could have teed it back, but but that's still a good he, round, Romy. That's a good us. round from yeah. That's a good round from the whites, baby, Romy. Come on, if you're listening, take it easy on yourself. By the way, he's playing good golf, right? He's like he's like a four oh, yeah. or three right now, for sure. Oh, I'd love to put the pressure on him and take his money soon, Romy. Soon. Okay. Also checking in. An establishment near and dear in our heart. We hope to see them in 2021. The Corner Club, their brevity is beautiful. No, they don't feel a sense of obligation to play the same tees as the rest of their group. So, Nick, I had a very specific instance of this yesterday. So I mentioned before we came on, got a chance to play Pumpkin Ridge yesterday. So Pumpkin Ridge is basically the bellwether for golf courses in Portland, Oregon. You, if you're you know here, it as the host of the 1996 U.S. Amateur Bowl, which we'll touch more on later. Yeah, it's hosted nationwide tour events. Corn Fair, David Duvall won a nationwide tour event in the early 90s out there. Um, they've hosted the U.S. Women's Open. Um, they've hosted regular LPG tour events. There's a Corn Ferry tour event out there. So it's, it's basically the only track with the exception of maybe Columbia Edgewater, because they host an LPGA tour event out here. But it's the only track that consistently hosts big events in the area. Right? Fine. So they have a private course, which is actually where Tiger won the 96 Amateur, which I've played on once. It's fine. Everyone calm down. The whole private thing over there is a little ridiculous. The public course, a lot of fun. Played it yesterday. Got a tee time two weeks out in advance, Nick. 71 bucks with a cart on Golf Now. You're Ooh. saving a pot. Yeah. Pumpkin Bridge is on Golf in. Now. Pumpkin Ridge is on golf now. Usually oh it's God. like, hey, well, it's funny because usually it says 4% off your rate with uh, uh-huh. booking this here. Because it's usually, you know, a buck, buck 25, buck 50 at peak. We played noon, Saturday, $71. Okay, I'm wandering here. Let me, let, me, let me get back to the point. So my usual group, like I said earlier, love the fellas. We usually probably play the same tees, but the courses we're playing aren't very long, right? The course we usually play from the tips, it's like 6,100 yards, so we usually play the tips. No big deal. Pumpkin Ridge, that's a pretty big course. Pretty big course. So from the white, you're talking about 661. From the middle tees, you're talking 65. The tips, you're talking 7,000 yards. And one of the guys in our group was not playing his replacement is young dude in his early 20s. I work with him on the TV show. He used to be a producer there, but he's as thick. He's a three handicap. So I'm feeling okay about my game. I text him this week and I said, Derek, you want to play the tips at Pumpkin Ridge? And he's like, you're reading my mind. Let's do this. <laughs> so we end up playing from the black tees. They actually didn't have tee markers up for the blacks, but they had the tee boxes and we're like, screw it. We're Let's, let's do this. We're out here. So we ended up playing it. A lot of fun. Glad we did it. The two people we were playing with played from the white tees. They're probably both in the 20-ish handicap. So I know it's a very special circumstance, but how do you feel about that specific scenario? Do you think it's appropriate for us to play different tees? Because it's like the low handicappers are playing the tips, the high handicappers are playing the whites, but there's two and two. Yeah, I think that's fine. I think that's a, that's a special circumstance. Um, like I said earlier, there's the answer generally is you should play the same tees, but there's tons of circumstances this being like a specialty course you're not playing it's not the course you play every single week no it's two and two it's not one guy saying see see you later <laughs> so watch for this lands. so very uncool of me if my three regulars are there and i take it back to the tips and i like at your and, regular and they're playing course. the white no yeah at your regular course but it should be a give and take like if you're playing at like 5800 yards week in and week out and you're like guys like how do you feel about taking it back for a week? Because 
I will say when you and I were golfing together in Idaho, every once in a while you'd be like, Nick, like, what do you think about playing the blues today? And I'd be like, okay. And maybe inside I'm like, oh, well, I don't need to be doing this. But it, it does make it more interesting. And I, I do think I learned a decent amount from from playing those tees. And it's not all about just like trying to overpower the golf course. You know, it, it's fine. You, you realize it's fine to play from back there. And I, I, I think I shot some better scores back there because I was like just trying to keep it in play and trying to do different things. Um, but yeah, don't you shouldn't just like be in the mindset where like I'm a 20 handicap and I have to play the tips all the time because my friends are, but yeah, it's, there's nothing wrong with mixing it up every once in a while. Well, and vice versa, just because you're a 20 handicap, you don't have to play the white all the time. You know, I played the tips with one of my buddies at a regular course the other week, like the tips tips, they have three sets, white, blue, and black. And he made an astute point. He said, this is fun because I have different shots into greens. You know, a lot of the par fours are 375 and shorter. So they get a hold of a driver, it's it's a wedge in. Now you step it back a little bit, you hit a good tee shot, well, he's still going to hit a six or a seven iron. So both shots are just as challenging, so that can be another fun angle of playing a different set of tees the way you're accustomed to. Also, a lot of courses, I don't know about out there, but like the tips, you're standing on like the white tees, and you look back, and they're just like 10 or 15 yards. They're right there. You know, like not a lot of courses, maybe there's one or two holes per side where it's ways back there, and it's a different tee box, and the cart path like extends back there. But for the most part, they're just like right there. That's a really good point. And I'm always surprised that more people don't take advantage of that because I think that's a great way to lower your handicap is to play a course you're used to. Play it back a little bit because you're right. In most cases, it's going to be a 10, 15-yard difference. And there will be a couple of holes where it's 50 yards back and it's a much different hole. But by and large, I think it's a good way to shave a few strokes off your handicap. In those holes where it is a completely different hole, you're like – holy shit, this is a completely different hole from back here. Like, this is kind of cool. You know, yeah. like, if there's a 425-yard par 4 on your course, you're not really complaining about it. But then if, if you're playing it back to that length, you're like, oh, my God, it's so long. But yeah. it's really just a long, just a longer hole. No, it, it can be fun. I, I would recommend just switching up the tee boxes in general. Now, Nick, you want to talk more about Pumpkin Ridge. But before we do, I want to talk about something else. All right, And that's, look, we're in the fall golf season. There's still time. I'm... Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm at a seven and a half right now. I want to get that thing down to a five. I have, I think, what do I have? I have two months to do it. Handicapping season ends at the end of November out here. So I've got some time to do it. The best way for me to do it, I don't need to find more fairways because I know the exact distance out of the rough. Underneath that limb, over that branch, I know how to do it because I have Precision Pro and their wonderful range finders. Use promo code TURN10 at checkout. You can save all kinds of money. And guess what? You hear that in the background? Those are sleigh bells. You know why? Christmas is around the corner. Get that Christmas shopping done early. PrecisionProGolf.com. Turn 10 at checkout. You get incredible savings on incredible presents for yourself and everyone else in your family. Thank you for enlightening all of us. Yes. Saving all this money. PrecisionProGolf.com. Yes, Joe, I do want to get back to Pumpkin Ridge. The private course, the 1996 U.S. Amateur. Why was I watching this the other day? Do you you know what's significant about this championship, right? Well, I know Tiger Woods won it. He did. Is there like an anniversary that came up or something? Why? No, no, no. Well, I I sought it out on YouTube because. Oh, okay. Um, I had watched a bunch of Masters, and I was like, you know, I want to watch some some like classic round. Well, you know what really happened was I was watching Phil's U.S. Open. 
and that was like a USGA thing, and they started like recommending more stuff for me. They recommended the 94 US Amateur, and I'm thinking in my head, I think this is where Tiger is about to putt, and his his competitor says, no, you got to move your ball back, and then makes the putt. But then I realized it was the 96. So this instance, if you don't know, if you if you haven't read the Tiger Woods book, he is going for his... I'm sorry to pause. If you haven't read the Tiger Woods book, read the Tiger Woods book. Yeah. It's a pile of fun. Great winter reading. Sorry. Continue. It is. It is. But I'm about to I'm about to call some stuff into question. From that mm. Mm. So it's late in this match. Tiger had been trailing the entire match. And it's uh, I have the information right in front of me. It's like the 16th hole and Tiger is Tiger's down. And from reading the book, they make it sound like uh, I'm actually just going to read this to you. Please. So what? So his competitor, Scott, Steve Scott, uh, Steve Scott, as Scott walked off the green out of the corner of his eye, he noticed where Woods was replacing his ball. Somehow, in a rare lapse of concentration, Tiger had forgotten that he previously moved his mark. He was about to putt from the wrong spot. If you play from the wrong spot in match play, you automatically lose the hole. With Woods about to make a monumental mistake, Scott uttered seven words that would have made the game's Scottish ancestors proud. Hey, Tiger, did you move that back? He immediately paused, stood up, reset his ball to correct the spot. Then he made the putt, cutting into Scott's lead. Then Tiger went off to win in extra holes. He got his third straight U.S. amateur, something that had never been done before. So I'm watching, waiting for this like epic moment for Tiger to be standing over his putt and, and then to be reminded that he forgot to move his mark. But it was very nonchalant. What really happened was uh, Steve Scott makes his putt. It was a big putt. And, he, and the crowd is still cheering and clapping. He grabs his ball out of the hole, looks back. Tiger's still, like, walking towards his ball. And he just points and is like, don't forget to move it back. And then then Tiger marks his ball. It makes the putt. So that's your quibble, that it wasn't some, like, dramatic made-for-television moment? Yeah, because it, it hmm. seemed very... From reading the book, like, I, I never knew about that moment before. I was 11 when it happened in real life. So I read the book, and I'm like... That's epic. Like, t- Tiger was about to putt from the wrong spot. And if he would have putt from the wrong spot, he would have lost the match. It would, would have been over. Would have been over. But it was nothing like that. He just was still approaching his ball. He hadn't even, he hadn't replaced it one way or the other. But don't you think the thesis, by and large, of that book is to just demonstrate that Tiger Woods isn't a very good dude because of his dad? And this is an example that they can point to and they can write about it in a dramatic way because it was a very dramatic match. They're making it seem as though the moment itself was very dramatic when perhaps it was more mundane and Tiger would have moved his ball back to the correct spot, even without the reminder from Steve Scott. But I will say this, but Galaxy Brain, you ready for this? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe. Steve Scott thought he was messing with Tiger by saying this. You just drain a putt in this match where Tiger Woods is a 10-to-1 favorite. He's Tiger. He, even though he's an amateur, he's still Tiger Woods at that point. Mm-hmm. Like him and this amateur match was a big deal. This is one of my first memories of watching golf was this match because I remember my dad telling me what a big deal it was. So Steve Scott pours that putt in on the 34th hole of this match. He has a real chance to beat Tiger Woods, and he thinks to himself, you know what? I'm going to mess with this young fella. And he says a thing 
to interact with him because he doesn't know Tiger Woods is this weird psychopath yet. He knows Tiger Woods is this incredible golfer, but he doesn't know the like the depths of his depravity when it comes to his personal life and the way he is on the golf course. So do you think there's any chance that happened? No. I mean, wow. <laughs> I just – I think he – it was almost – like it was so bang, bang. He picks his ball up out of the hole, and he's walking just – clearing the stage and it's just as he's walking he's like hey don't forget to move your mark back and but the he, announcers if the announcers were were like um oh that's interesting had had tiger not moved it back you know it would the match would have been over I, I wonder if tiger was thinking about that i wonder but it wasn't like oh like he was about to putt his ball wasn't even marked he wasn't even I there see. yet you know what i mean like it was just like I was under the impression it was going to be this big dramatic moment where Tiger was, he'd already replaced his ball. He was looking at the line, studying it, getting ready to putt. No, he was still approaching his mark on the green when, when Scott was like, hey, don't forget to move back. And, then, and they made a big deal also how Tiger never said thank you or showed appreciation or returned the sportsmanship. But there was really nothing to acknowledge. I don't know. I'm still I'm still in favor of my theory with Steve Scott and and he wanted to say something to Tiger before the putt because look I played for 20 bucks yesterday I rolled in like a big 15 footer for par late in the match against my buddy we're playing for 20 bucks I made a mark from like two feet away for bogey instead of giving him the he like looked back and I wouldn't give him the putt and I roll it in for par I pick up my ball out of the hole and I say you can pick your ball up and I walk to the next tee like a champion. These are things you think about over putts. You think about the next step you're going to make. So to say Steve Scott is this aw shucks kind of guy and he's also humble, yeah, that's probably true. But this dude is still a good enough golfer and a fiery enough competitor to get into the position he was against Tiger Woods. So to say he's not capable of that, I think he's not giving him enough credit. Okay. It's okay to disagree. No. Yeah. No, I mean, I would just encourage you to, to go back and watch that moment. I will. I mean, did you – I will. From reading the book, what was your – like, what had you played it up to in your head? Like, did you think it was this this big moment where – I was thinking, like, he was going to, like, stop him in his backswing and be like, Tiger, no, don't hit that putt. Well, yes, because it's not like that moment specifically is known as part of the lore of Tiger Woods. Sure, the fact that he had this gigantic comeback – it is known as lore, but him, this particular aspect of it, him having to move his ball back so it was in the right position. That's not something I remember or I even knew as part of the story of this championship until reading this book. So I'm winding up to saying no. Like, I didn't think it was this big dramatic moment. I thought it was perhaps like an anecdote that Steve Scott had told them that the cameras didn't even capture. I'm frankly a little bit surprised that they even mentioned it on camera, that it was a notable enough moment to capture. I didn't think it was like Tiger was standing over the putt, and all of a sudden Steve Scott comes in waving his hand saying, Tiger, no! Tiger, don't do it! <laughs> that's, what I was, that's, what I was, that's what I was picturing. And then just one more reference to the book. Walking away from the hole, Tiger didn't acknowledge what Scott had done. Ah. Didn't say thank you. Didn't say a word. Yeah, because they're going. he's like one down going into the 35th hole. Like, you're not just, like, chumming it up with your buddy. Yeah, and it, it kind of makes it sound like we're, we're saying this book is, like, false or not interesting. This book is fascinating. You, it is fascinating. You, you would – if you if you're a big golf fan and you enjoy Tiger, you would finish this book in a weekend. Like, you, you... – All right, Joe, you have a really good – the, the perfect 
would you rather? You want to tee yeah. it up? I was I was pretty proud of myself because I wanted I wanted a cap. You know, a lot of times we talk about the PGA Tour, but this is all just like regular guy, regular golfer stuff kind of podcast, right? So I thought, well, we have fall golf, and fall golf is wonderful. I'll say it's wonderful more in theory than it is in practice because there are some pitfalls when it comes to fall golf. First of all, and I'm glad I remember to say this, folks, if you're thinking of booking any round anywhere in the fall, Please, if you make that online tee time before you do it, call the golf course and ask them if they punched their greens when they did it. If not, when they plan to do it. Because you're going to see some screaming deals online. And you know why they're going to be screaming deals? Because the greens are full of sand. I digress. Nick, the two most annoying things about fall golf. A lot of foliage. A lot of foliage out there. Now, we have a lot less of this in the Northwest a lot of evergreens, baby, you know that, than we do in the Northeast. Deciduous, those things are turning over over there. Leaves mm-hmm. are falling. The ball gets lost. The ball gets lost out there. Something else that happens, you hit a perfect drive in the middle of the fairway. Where did it go? Has it? Did you see my ball? I hit it. In- and you can't find it because it plugged, because there's some morning dew, because you teed off early, because you wanted to get home to your sweetie. I understand. We've all been there. So, Nick, the would you rather is this. Would you rather lose a ball because it plugs or lose it amongst the leaves? I, I had to think really, really hard about this because they are – like when I, when I read this on the rundown, I, I just got mad. I got, I got mad thinking about my ball plugging, and then I got mad thinking about losing it in leaves, and I just – I got mad. For me, plugging is more a springtime thing. So like spring golf plug. Once the course hardens up, I don't think I don't think after like May out here I ever like see a ball plug. Fall golf leaves. I would rather lose a ball in the leaves. And I'll tell you why. When I when a ball plugs for me, usually it's because I popped up a freaking driver again and it's it's freaking higher than a pitching wedge and it's just falling out of the sky like an asteroid and it goes so far down into the earth, like probably a foot down into the earth. And so that's more on me. I, I'm in the fairway, potentially theoretically like 130 yards down, down the fairway. And my ball is a yard deep into the earth and whatever you hit it into the leaves. You're like tracking it. You know, it's maybe a little worm burner. It's, it's, it's flying, it's rolling. And you're like, you're locating exactly where it is. And you're like, okay, it's going to be in the rough because they don't have trees in the middle of the fairway. So yeah, sure. I was offline a little bit, but I see exactly where it is. I see the branch that it's right below. And you go up there and it's just like being in a sea of darkness. Like everything looks the same. You can't find it. You, you're probably standing within like six inches of it. And, and there's no chance of finding it. There's leaves on leaves on leaves. Every leaf looks the exact same. Now you're turned around. You're dizzy. You don't know which way is up. You don't know which way is Forwards, backwards, it's I, it's just infuriating. And then you're like, what the hell do I do from here? That's so interesting. My answer is I would rather lose a ball because it plugs. Because you kind of go on what you said. What do I do from here? If I hit a drive that went very high and we know the ground is wet, we're, we're, we're trying to avoid mud puddles, 
it's a little soggy out here. The course isn't drained very well. It's like November 17th. We're just trying to squeeze one. Thanksgiving's next weekend, Nick. We know this is our last shot to do anything out here, right? So hit a drive. Maybe it's in the rough a little bit. Maybe it's in the fairway. We can't see where it lands. But, boy, that thing was high. I don't, I, it's probably going <laughs> to plug. It's probably going to you know, plug. You know as soon as it leaves the club face, you're like, damn it, that thing's plugged. I've never That's that trouble. Before. That's trouble. But what happens when we get to the fairway or rough? The group kind of stands around, and we all say, well, it probably plugged about right here. Just, just, just drop one. It probably plugged here. Just drop one. But what if Joey hits one in the woods? That's where I find the leaves. I find the leaves in the trees. And if my ball is, maybe it's here, maybe it's 60 yards that way. I don't actually know where it finished. So if we have that same conversation about me dropping the ball, I'm probably going to get a few sideways looks. So the reason why I want the ball to plug as opposed to being lost amongst the leaves, because I think it is more socially acceptable among golfers to replace your ball because of a plug and the group can agree, no stroke. That's not fair. The ball was going to land here. As opposed to the leaves, which I think you're going to get a few more cockeyed looks if you drop a ball amongst leaves. It's like, well, Joe, Joe just said he hit it in those leaves over there, but I saw it's 50 yards to the right. He hit it out of bounds. He's at it again. So more socially acceptable to replace a ball because it plugs as opposed to losing it in the leaves. It definitely is. The thing about the leaves, too, is you have to look at it from all angles because you could be standing one way. And it's completely buried. But you walk oh. 10 yards, you turn around, yeah. look at it from the other direction, and it's it's right there. Or it's eh. or and like maybe the leaves are wet and the and the dew mm. is hitting it a certain way, and you have to be down down sun as opposed to into or, the sun. Exactly. And every freaking leaf from 25 yards away looks like a golf ball until you walk up to it and it's just a leaf. <laughs> and then you turn around and you're like, oh, there it is, and you walk over there. Oh, that's just a leaf. It, it's oh. I got, I'm getting worked up. Both, you... are, both are so infuriating, too, because nothing was worse than losing a ball when you saw where it went. I have I, I, I just thought of a really good would you rather that we're going to save for our next episode. But I have to write it down right now. So I'm going to type it. Can you talk about Precision Pro while I type this real quick? Absolutely. I'm just going to be watching what you're writing right now. But no, as Joe mentioned earlier, earlier Precision Pro laser range finders if you want to save ten dollars on one of those bad boys just use promo code turn 10 at checkout you're going to save ten dollars on any range finder from precision pro precision pro as you know offers free lifetime battery replacement that's what separates them from all the other range finders not to mention the fact that they're half the cost of a bushnell Ooh, ooh, you're what, what do you think of that Awesome. I'll, I'll just say, um, gonna have to give Romy another shout out on this one once we get to this, because it's uh, in a yeah. okay, okay, great, mm-hmm. great. Yeah. can't wait. Let's let's save it. So, oh what was that God. promo code? Turn ten at checkout. Turn ten at precisionprogolf.com. Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening. Still a lot to get to in the 2020 golf calendar. We have the Masters coming up in November. We have the Tiger documentary, two parts based on the book. Nick and I were talking about. They're going to have I hope they put that scene in the documentary so you can see for yourself what actually happened on that green. I hope HBO gives it's you a so, call and you're going to be in that so documentary nonch- calling it's it out. It's so nonchalant. 
Can't wait. So, Tiger documentary in December. We also have the U.S. Women's Open in December, which I'm very excited about. A Christmas U.S. Women's Open. Nick, I want to do a full preview, full full picks, the whole the whole major treatment for that tournament. I, I know do you're it. down. We yeah. will do it. Okay, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, yeah, hit them straight. Remember, call. Make sure they haven't punched the greens. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at the turn.